You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster as well as a longtime Marlins writer and prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we have part two of the crossover with Locked On Mets. Ryan Finkelstein, the host of the Locked On Mets podcast, joins me to talk about the NL East, the Marlins, the Mets. And in this part two, we hit on a lot of really fun talking points from the universal DH or lack thereof, pitching rotations, and talking about the old Mets pitching rotations, how those compare to now what the Marlins rotation can look like in the future, some trade discussion, prospect discussion, and everything in between. If you liked part one, I think you'll like part two of this episode even more. We start right away with Ryan answering the question that I had asked about whether the Mets are going to look to potentially make some moves from their major league crop and what a trade could look like if the Mets go look to buy. Do they trade from the prospects? Do they trade from the depth that they have at the major league level with some quality guys that are not going to be able to get consistent at-bats because of how deep the team is and how much talent they have, major league talent, that will be fighting for at-bats. So that's a fun discussion there. But before I jump into that, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more for the same auto parts from a chain store or a car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy-to-navigate website to find whatever car parts you need for any make or model. The chain stores, the dealerships, they're not looking out for you. They are charging more, and it's a headache to get whatever work you need done taken care of. RockAuto.com is a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. It's as simple as going over to the website where you will easily find whatever car part you need. You order it. They ship it straight to your door. It's that simple. Go to RockAuto.com and let them know Locked On sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com also brought to you by betonline.ag the sports world is in full swing right now we've got march madness heading into the sweet 16 we've got baseball season on the horizon nba playoffs not far away nhl in full swing there is plenty to wager on and betonline.ag is the most trusted online sports book to do just that best of all if you go to betonline right now and use a promo code locked on that's one word locked on you'll get a 50 percent welcome bonus on your initial deposit so if you deposit a hundred dollars an extra fifty dollars on top of that betonline has real-time updated odds on pretty much anything you can imagine and now you'll get that extra 50 percent to maybe put on trevor rogers as a rookie of the year candidate that would pay out pretty fat don't know what exactly the payout is right now but i know it would be quite a nice one i don't know i might place that myself with my 50 percent welcome bonus with that promo code locked on bet online your online sportsbook experts so let's jump right into it with the episode part two here of the crossover with ryan finkelstein of locked on mets yeah i mean i don't you know they've been really Holding on to those top prospects. Obviously, you know, you're talking about Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, Ronnie Mauricio, uh, Matt Allen. I mean, those are guys that they did not want to trade. That's why they were so happy with the Lindor trade because they were able to give up a couple guys 
that were top prospects, but a little more fringe top prospects. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they tried to make moves at the deadline. Maybe it is trading from some areas of depth. So if David Peterson looks really good throughout the season, but you get Syndergaard and Carrasco back, you know, maybe that's a piece that can be moved. Although I don't love the Mets trading more young starting pitching, but you know, if you're trying to win a championship, you got to make some moves. I am shocked that honestly, I really thought JD Davis was going to get traded this off season. I thought he was going to get traded last off season. So I'm still sitting here kind of waiting for that, that shoe to drop. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but that's certainly something that has been discussed. And I think the other thing that the Mets are kind of weighing is you have Pete Alonso and Dominic Smith. And I think they love both players so much that I don't see them moving either. And I think the expectation is the DH is going to come in and kind of solve that problem for them. But again, if you're in a race and you can make a move that puts you over the top, who knows what the Mets ultimately do. Yeah, exactly. When the conversation starts getting to a point where, where you could potentially get a superstar starting pitcher, you know, lights out closer, and that might end up being what you have to do. But I think the J.D. Davis plus a prospect where you're not feeling it as much, you give up one prospect, that might be able to get you something depending on the team and, and whether why they would want J.D. Davis. But it could be a team with a surplus of bullpen arms or whatever. I just feel like that might be the major league guy that you end up parting with if if you're the Mets. And it makes sense. I think the Marlins ultimately, too, I think they're going to trade from one of Aguilar or Cooper because it's not so much like the Alonzo Smith situation where both of those guys are young. Uh, I mean, you look at Aguilar, he's at thir- almost 30 years old or is 30 years old and Cooper's 29, I believe. He might be – no, he's actually 30 years old as well. So uh, both of those guys being 30 – once you get the DH, it's not really part of the timeline. I could see one of those guys being shipped out, uh, but it's going to be interesting just to see how teams approach that deadline because like we know the DH is going to probably come, but do you uh, account for that? Do you trade away from your surplus? It's a bizarre situation. And I honestly thought it was, it was a laughable uh, that baseball expected teams to make roster decisions without knowing what the situation was on the DH. And Marlins had to decide if they were tendering a contract to Jesus Aguilar, the deadline was coming up and ultimately they tendered in the contract, taking a leap of faith that there will be a DH. And then there wasn't. Um, I, I think that is a perfect example of why it's, it's a joke that teams were expected to do that. Yeah. It's brutal. I mean, I, you know, it seems so ridiculous when everyone kind of has a consensus that this is going to be a universal DH league at some point very soon, you get a for your first taste of it to go back because it's a bargaining chip still makes no sense to me, but you're right. They compounded the problem by not making that declaration early. I mean, there was still, I mean, even now you'll still hear some people say, well, we don't know. Maybe it's going to come in at the last second. And it's just crazy. Like if they were going to go no DH, they should have just said that, day one of the off season. So everyone can plan accordingly. And I mean, we're talking about two teams where I think that really hurt them this off season, where they just didn't know what to do. And ultimately, I mean, now they kind of have imperfect rosters, but you know, the season's about to start and we'll see what happens. Yeah. I just, I always try and think about it. Like it's, there's just some baseball unique problems and this is just one of them. Just imagine in football, if they're like, we don't know yet heading into the season, but you may not be able to line up three receivers. <laughs> it might just be two. And so now you don't know, like, okay, well, do we keep our third expensive receiver or do we just cut them? Like, that's, that's just the craziest thing to me. Because in any other sport, you literally can't even hold your laughter in when you make the analogy. But is that really that much different? 
Not really. And that's what's crazy about it. And that's why baseball is just, it can frustrate me sometimes where, where they just, it seems like they're just a little bit archaic with the decision-making and, and we can go into Rob Manfred any day and that would end up taking up the whole podcast. But uh, that's for another time. Cause I spent enough time complaining about that guy, but I'm curious for Mets fans. Is it world series or bust this year is for the Braves. That's, that's what the answer was. It was world series or bust for the Mets. Now world series or bust. I think there's some fans that might say that, you know, Steve Cohen's introductory press conference, he says, I want to win a World Series in the next three to five years. And Mets fans hear that and they say, we want to win. Okay, so we're winning this year, right? Like, that's what you're telling us. We're going to win now. But I think that there's a rational Mets fan that knows what the team has been. And I'm definitely part of this camp where you just want to see them be perennial contenders. And now there's really no excuses why they can't be. They have the richest owner in the sport. They actually have, even though the, the you know Brody years really hurt the farm system, I mean, that lower level has a lot of talent. So there is a bright future up and coming. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to see the Mets be consistent and, you know, just be in the conversation. I think if they miss the playoffs, that's a massive disappointment because there's been oh, a yeah. lot that's happened this offseason. You want to see them get one of those wild cards. But, I mean, even if they don't win the division, I don't think it's a disappointment. I think the one thing that I would say is if you've gotten a wild card game, with Jacob DeGrom on the mound and you lost, Mets fans would probably be oh, disappointed. Yeah, disappointed. yeah you got to be. You know, if, if they can at least get past the wild card game and they go up against, you know, whatever team it is, the Braves, the Dodgers, and they lost, I don't think that anyone's going to look at this season and say, you know, the Mets, you know, didn't meet expectations. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is it's a little bit of a situational thing, right? If you lose – in the first round and you ended up getting a really nice matchup and you lost to a, a subpar team playoff, you know, related wise, like it's not the Dodgers, the Padres or, or the Braves, then yeah, that's disappointing. But if you, the way I look at it, honestly, is, I mean, yeah, the Yankees are good. The White Sox could be pretty good. The world series, in my opinion, is going to be one in, in, in the NLCS. I think it, that was the case quite obviously this past year. And I think it'll be the case again this year. And that's, the, the reality of it. So just because you didn't get to the final series doesn't necessarily mean it was a disappointment. I, I was, that's kind of what I was talking about with Dylan short with the Braves, because if the Braves won, I think they beat the Rays too. So that that's what the situation was. The world series was kind of one in the, in the NLCS. What's interesting with the Mets though, is, is it as a team that just went all in, I find it kind of interesting though, that their window is still kind of wide in my opinion, because Jacob DeGrom is not showing any signs of slowing down. In fact, he's speeding up. Uh, then you have Cindergaard, who at the end of the day, he's still young. It's just whether he's able to stay healthy. When you look at the outfield and, and at the infield, everybody's pretty much on the right side of 30. Conforto's still even on the right side of 30. Nimmo, young. I mean, you got Pete Alonzo who's young. Dom Smith is still young. Majority of these guys, Lindor even. I mean, he's a superstar, but he's got a lot more years left in his prime. Other than maybe James McCann, who still has a few more years, I think, of being solid behind the dish. It seems like the, the whole Mets team has a really wide window. And that's another reason why I think it doesn't have to be World Series or bust this year. Uh, that's what I thought was an interesting balance of some of the acquisitions they made is I think it fit their timeline too. Uh, getting a Lindor he's going to be good for a while. If they went out and got somebody that was 33 years old, then that's a superstar. 
it'd be a little bit different, right? You're like, okay, let's push for it now. Uh, how do you feel about that? Cause that's just kind of my perspective on it. I feel like the Mets are going to be good for a while. And for that reason, it takes a little bit of pressure off of this singular season. Uh, I don't know. That's just an outsider who roots for a losing franchise. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what, what, what you think of that. Yeah. I mean, I think what would be really great is that the Mets were able to iron out extensions with Lindor and Conforto before the season starts because I do think that that would, in some sense, is kind of really show that clubhouse that they're going to be together. And it's not just a one-year push to try to win a World Series. Now, I think ultimately, whether it's now or at the end of the season, I believe those deals will eventually get done. But, you know, when you talk about kind of the youth of this team, you look at the opening day, you know, starting lineup. And if I'm not mistaken, I think everyone is between 25 and 28 besides James McCann, who's 30. So that's everyone just right in their prime. And, you know, if you can have a team that's built like that, that can stay together for the next four or five years, they're going to get a couple cracks at, you know, winning a world series. And that's all Mets fans can, can ask for at this point. Yeah. I think it's, it's exactly what I was thinking because it's just, that's gotta be exciting. And that's what the Marlins I, I think are hoping to get to in their, in their point too is, they have some of the veterans now, but th- some of those guys aren't really a part of the future, and, but they're really trying to build that core. I think they've done it pitching wise. You look one through five with the Marlins, Sandy Alcantara is just t- mid twenties still Pablo Lopez, mid twenties, Sixto Sanchez, early twenties. And you got the same thing. Eliezer Hernandez, mid twenties, Trevor Rogers is closer to his early twenties. And then you got some really good pitching prospects in the wings with Max Meyer, Edward Cabrera, and a few others. So they've, they've established that with the pitching. The offense has just been the struggle is, is these offensive prospects have not panned out. Uh, Lewis Brinson has not panned out. Monte Harrison so far has, has struggled. Jesus Sanchez has not looked like the guy that they were hoping, but still he has plenty of time to figure it out. Uh, but, you know, that's that's what the Marlins, and I think more so with Brinson, they were really hoping that he would be a fixture on this team by now, and he's not. And now they're trying to figure out who those long-term offensive pieces are going to be because the reality is after this year, it's, it's a lot different than the Mets where Marte will he'll be gone uh, unless the Marlins decide to bring him back for another year, but one year contract for 12 and a half million. That was the club option. Uh, Corey Dickerson's contract will be up. He'll be gone. Duvall has a team, a mutual option that almost certainly won't be picked up unless he hits 40 jacks. And there, the, your infield's starting from, from scratch again. And now you're going to figure that out. You're hoping Bleday is ready. You're hoping a few other prospects are ready. But that's what kind of scares me is that if some of those prospects aren't ready, now you're scrambling to put, put together a veteran outfield again. And it's like, is it going to be good? Uh, that's, that's what's tough. Because right now, I think the team, you can see that progression. But you can also see how things could blow up in their face a little bit on the offensive side of things. But I do think it is easier to build. And I'm curious what your take is on that. It is easier to build through free agency on the offensive side of things than like the pitching side of things, which the Marlins were in the hard way in the past. Well, I will say, I mean, from my experiences over the last decade here, you know, the Mets kind of went through a similar route building around young starting pitching. And I'll tell you, it's a little bit of a dangerous game just because of the injuries. And so you, know, you knock on wood, you hope all those guys stay healthy. But that is the one thing to, to be concerned about. With the Mets, you know, they had that dream rotation, right, that went yeah, to the World did. Series. It's really true. And, you know, it was supposed to be eventually, because Zach Wheeler had Tommy John that year, they went to the World Series. Eventually it was going to be DeGrom, Harvey, Wheeler, Mats, and Syndergaard. And I think they maybe only took a single turn of the rotation, like 
one or two times. Uh, it was, Jeez. and then Harvey got like cut at that point, and that was kind of it. So it, it, it's crazy how that can blow up on you. I'm not trying to. Uh, no, I mean it's it's a good point. <laughs> it's terrible. Marlins fans are like cringing right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so- there, there's examples where it was worked out too. But no, it's it's a good point because I think you look at the Marlins rotation right now, and it's like there's no way that these this rotation won't be good for a long time. And odds are, you know, it, it will be good for a long time. But I'm sure Mets fans thought that they were well on their way to having the best rotation ever, and yeah, things went south quickly um man, wow i didn't even really think about that <laughs> now, i might need to take a moment here sorry um, but no, no no it's true though the, the the injuries are tough i think the the arc of matt harvey was really tough uh Syndergaard also being so injury prone that sucks uh and then at that point you had matt's injury prone and wheeler just didn't really ever consistently get it going with the Mets until the end there. It was just a weird situation. Uh, And I hope that the Marlins won't have something like that going on. Uh, But that Mets team that made the world series pitching led the way for them, right? Like what what was the mold of that team? Because the Ray or the Royals mold is something that we'll probably never see again, which was just scrape for a couple runs and have the best bullpen you've ever seen in your life. Like that'll never happen again. Like that just baseball can't do that. And not that kind of team will never win. Um, I, I wanted the Marlins to kind of go all in on that mold the last two years, just to try, because that's the only way right now to, to try and make the most of it is just build a super pen. And they ultimately just, just didn't allocate enough money there. And they, they made some more underrated acquisitions. What was that Mets mold that year? Like, what, what would you say their approach to building that team was? It, it's crazy how long it's already been since that World Series. It feels like it was just a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, Sandy Alderson realized midseason that, you know, the Mets were struggling that year. You might not remember. I mean, you know, it was probably late June uh, where it, it just was not working. There was a series against the Padres that was just awful where Familia, there was like a rain game where Familia gave up uh, – a home run and or after the rain delay and then went to extras, the Mets lost. And you thought this team was just the same old Mets team. And then Alderson just went all in and believed in that rotation. And he went out and, you know, first they promoted Conforto at the time and he kind of brought them a jolt. He brought in veterans like Juan Arriba and Kelly Johnson. And then, you know, ultimately after the team started going, there was the Flores, he was traded. He was not traded. He hit the home run. Oh, the whole yeah, deal. that's when that was. Yeah, yeah. He got traded for uh, Carlos Gomez, and then they didn't like Gomez's medical, and then he was he crying was, he was on crying. the field because he thought he was traded, and then two days later, he hits a walk-off home run, and the Mets added Cespedes, and then Cespedes was you know, the MVP of that second half. He was unbelievable. And so that really it – was, it was just lightning in a bottle for that team. And then after that – you know, they, they kind of tried to continue to plug in veterans like Neil Walker as Drupal Cabrera. And, you know, 2016, they got to the playoffs, but it never quite worked again. I mean, Jay Bruce was an addition that yeah. they thought, you know, could do something for them. So, you know, it's one of those things where if you build around starting pitching and the starting pitching is healthy, you're going to be in a lot of games and you can plug in the right couple of pieces, get enough offense and win. But yeah, that team, it, it's kind of crazy to look back on because if you compare that team to the Mets roster now. The Mets roster now is so much more talented than that World Series team. I mean, they had Cespedes playing center field in the yeah. World Series. Yeah. And Flores was the shortstop. So yeah. oh you talk about defense and defense up the middle. It's crazy they got that far. And they, they were winning or they were leading in every game of the World Series. And, I mean, they're, I'll never forget the quick pitch game one 
Jerry's Familia to Alex Gordon that he took and hit the home run and kind of deflated all the momentum the Mets had built up in the series prior. But yeah, that team was, was a really special team, but one that was always kind of held together by duct tape and it kind of fell apart at the last minute there and they lost in, in five games. So. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing is I'd like to almost go back and see what the, what the Mets farm system looked like at the time, because the Marlins do just have so many outfielders in their system that I feel like just a few of them have to pan out. Like there's so many high ceiling outfielders uh, while, while they might not be even top 100 guys, they have the capability to be. And it's just like, I could probably rattle off seven guys that have the potential to be top 100 guys. If they, play to their potential. It's Monte Harrison. You got Jesus Sanchez, Peyton Burdick. You got Cameron Meisner, all of these players that Griffin Conine, even, you know, who hit 22 home runs in 80 games. There's so many players that just have these lofty ceilings, but the Marlins went the volatility route over, over the safe and consistent route, the higher floor, they went more volatility over the higher floor and we'll see if it works out. Uh, but man, I would just love a Michael Conforto type of prospect where it's, you just know, he's got a smooth, like Blade is that guy for the Marlins. I think he, that's a fair comp, honestly, too, is, is somewhat of Conforto, but I just don't know. We're going to see that, that volatile approach and see how it works. But so far it really hasn't paid dividends if you hit on a few of them, it works out. If not, then moments are going to have to do some evaluating, but I mean, the system's stacked and uh, we'll just see how that translates to the major league level. I, I think the Mets though, what was interesting is a lot of the talent they had, a lot of those big name guys, it was, it was players they cultivated themselves. Yeah, no, definitely. At the time, I mean, you know, they had the big trade, the, the R.A. Dickey trade that got them, you know, Syndergaard and Darno, and, you know, they made a couple of moves. You know, Zach Wheeler was another trade for Beltron, but you know, when you, when a guy still spends a couple of years in your farm system, it still kind of feels that they're homegrown. And yeah, a lot of that talent, you know, was cultivated by Sandy Alderson and some of it's still there. I mean, you look at the team Bertie Van Wagen inherited and I mean, it was all Alderson first round picks, you know, Dominic Smith, Brandon Nemo, all these guys that have panned out. And I think to kind of close here, I do want you to put on your prospects hat for me because I have two prospects I really want to get your scouting report on. So the first one we talked a bit about on social media, and that is Mark Vientos. I want to know your thoughts on him because you said he might pop this year. And I've been saying that even though I don't think any of the Mets prospects are really going to factor in, he's the one that could surprise me because I think his bat is the closest to LB ready of all those kind of top guys. And then the other one is the Mets' newest top prospect, Khalil Lee. Yeah, two guys that I'm very, very interested to watch this year. Uh, with Vientos, another guy that's from South Florida and and was one of the better high school prospects the year he was drafted, he's got just crazy power. And I don't think people are really paying attention to the kind of power that this kid is able to generate. 6'4", 185, and just the juice that he's able to produce. He had some of the highest exit velos in all of the minor leagues, and that was as a 20-year-old. And he's just only going to get stronger and more physical. The question for him was whether he was going to be able to make more consistent contact. And so far he shows flashes of that sometimes gets a little bit further back to it. But when I look at his swing, I don't see that much length. I've seen a lot of improvement there for, for me. It just seemed like a guy that was getting caught in between with his timing a little bit. He was a little bit longer before, but I liked the improvements that he made. He's got such easy power that to, to overlook this guy, I think, would be crazy. Of course, like many hitters, the question's going to be, will he be able to hit enough? But I believe he can. And, and 
I think we've gotten a little bit too quick to forget about a 21 year old who was really able to put up some decent power numbers throughout his three years so far in rookie ball. He hit 14 jacks. He hit 12 jacks in 2018 and then was, was solid in 2019 the on-base percentage, not quite there. He hasn't walked a lot. He gets a little over-aggressive. But when guys are putting up exit velos over 110 miles an hour at 19, 20 years old, you got to keep an eye on that guy and you got to give him more opportunities. And I just don't see how this is somebody that could be falling out of their top eight or nine prospects, which is where MLB.com has them. But if you look at Fangraphs, who's more analytically driven and sometimes too far on the analytical side of things, they have him way up there, almost close to the top 100 list. And I think he's somewhere between those two, but Fangraphs loves him for the exact reasons that I'm saying. I mean, the guy hits the ball so hard that he's going to be able to produce some crazy power numbers, even if he hits at a 250, 260 clip, and he's going to play some decent defense at third. Khalil Lee is really interesting to me. I, I think he doesn't get enough love either because he honestly is already showing you what he can be. He's going to be a plus defender in the outfield. He's going to steal a lot of bags and he actually has a feel to hit for a little bit more power than some may think and could be a 2020 guy. If he plays enough, I just don't know if he's going to play enough and I don't know where he gets the at-bats anytime soon for the Mets. But right now I know the Mets ended up getting uh, Kevin Pillar, so they don't need that defensive fourth outfielder, but Khalil Lee could definitely be that guy in the future, but I'm not even giving up on him as an everyday player. I I really believe he could be an everyday player. He's a great base stealer. He stole 53 bags in 2019. (laughs) Like he stole 53 bags. Like this, this is a guy that gets good jumps. He's quick. He's a plus runner and gets the most out of his speed. He's a gamer. He walks a lot, which is huge too. I mean, to have a guy like him that is able to hedge the lack of hit tool a little bit with his high walk rate, he'd only has to hit 260 to be a above average offensive player. He's going to hit for a little bit of power. He's going to steal bags and he's going to always take that extra base. I think Khalil Lee's is a solid, slightly above average regular that could balance out your lineup or at the very least could be a good piece in trade bait. If we're talking about trade bait, he's going to put up good numbers in triple a you'll see this year. He will put up good numbers and could end up being a piece that the Mets can dangle. Yeah. I mean, you talk about getting on base. You just said that with John walks as uh Billy Hamilton has taught us you can't steal first base. So if he can at least do that, he's an interesting prospect. And I think those are maybe the two guys for Mets fans to kind of keep the closest eye on this year. Because again, while I think the Mets have so much talent in the major league roster, we probably won't see them. You could, I mean, let's just say a JD Davis gets traded and you need a right-handed power bat and Vientos has been tearing the cover off the ball all year. Who knows? You know, if, Almora and Pilar aren't working out and Khalil Lee is having a great year. Again, you need a fourth outfielder down the stretch. Who knows? So those are guys to definitely watch. Well, I got to get out of here. So uh, thanks so much. Uh, why don't you tell the Mets fans uh, where they can find your work? Yeah, you can follow me at RMLayton8 on Twitter where I'll be keeping up. You can keep up with all the prospect stuff. Uh, I'll be doing some more on the Mets farm system. Just talked a lot about Francisco Alvarez on the latest Locked on MLB Prospects podcast. He's well inside of my top five catching prospects in baseball. So I'm always doing stuff on the Mets farm system and farm systems across baseball. So you can keep up with it there. And uh, I am a big PCA fan as well. So I'm excited to watch him play this year. And uh, you'll hear a lot of my analysis on him if you come check out the show. 
And that'll do it for this Locked On Marlins, Locked On Mets crossover episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a ton of fun to just talk shop with a division rival. Ryan does a great job over with Locked On Mets. And if you want to keep up with what the Mets are doing in the NL East, definitely give him a follow as well. He does a good job covering not only the Mets, but the entire NL East. And you'll be hearing more from him as we do some series previews heading into the season when the Marlins eventually take on the Mets for a three-game set in New York on April 8th. We're almost there, ladies and gentlemen, just about a week out from opening day. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.